There it is. All right. Showing live for me. Welcome, All right, everyone. Let's see. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dank Kingdom podcast. We're live here and we are not joined by Matthew. He had some other responsibilities. His daughter, I believe, was in the hospital um, and just a lot going on in, in his family. So he couldn't make it tonight. Do you guys have any more info on that? Uh, he said she came home this afternoon. Were you here when he said that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So that was an answer to a lot that, of prayers. Yes, it was. Yeah. So it's it's just the three of us, and we don't, as usual, we don't have much of a plan. So what we decided to do is, if you guys have things you want us to talk about, <laughs> obviously there's there's a lot to talk about right now. <laughs> the the country is in turmoil, and we're I guess we're announcing who we're having on next week to discuss that. Uh, yes, I think so. I think we have confirmation. So, yeah, Keyshawn uh, Washington, yeah, we... Keyshawn Washington will be joining us next Monday to talk about that. And and we we're we're very wary to talk a lot about it tonight, just because it's three white guys, and we want to have someone from a minority community to to be on to to bring their perspective but obviously with, with all this going on you know we can't completely avoid the topic so we'll we'll offer a few thoughts on that tonight as well yeah we invite you to uh shoot us your questions in the comments and we will spend this um for the first for the first little while i thought we might just answer questions around current events and then mm -hmm. um and just you know, give our opinions as we have feedback, and then, and then uh, maybe move into a time where kind of people that aren't familiar with us could just ask us any question about you know beliefs or or uh, who we are. If you want to get to know the the uh, hosts better, so not not much of us not much of a structure for tonight. I think, um, I know you said not, uh, well, there's no questions yet. I know you said about uh, waiting for uh, uh, for next week, but there's a, there's a couple comments I'd like to make. Um, I think it's really fascinating that this year um, we're kind of watching a lot of recapitulation of history. A um, mm -hmm. hundred years ago, you know, we had the Spanish influenza that was going through the country and also a lot of racial tensions. In fact, yesterday and today is 99 years since the Tulsa race riots, which were some of the worst riots ever. Wow. Um, group of uh, basically just go on uh, Wikipedia and look up Tulsa race riots. Um, absolutely horrific story. Basically the short version is a black young man, um, getting off the elevator, trips uh, and grabs onto a white lady for support. She screams, everybody thinks he assaulted her because of course, and um, they decide they wanna lynch him. Bunch of black people show up because they don't think that's a good plan. Um, shots are fired, the white population freaks out and proceeds to burn the entire black section of town to the ground 
the police force gets in on on it, um, flying planes over the black section, dropping um, fire bombs out of the planes. Uh-huh. Uh, the only time in American history that bombs have been dropped on um, an American city, and it was done by the own police force. Um, so it's it's interesting to watch that that recapitulation happening, and I think it's really important because I see a lot of comments um that they don't come right out and say it but they come close well white people don't act this way it's just black people to act this way um and the only way you can possibly say that is if you're completely ignorant of history Mm -hmm. um because unfortunately there's been some really horrific um mass group violence by um by by white people throughout um american history and so it's been really interesting for me to watch that recapitulation and it, you almost wonder if there's some type of, we talked a lot in the group about, you know, the symbolic meaning behind things. And it just, uh, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder, what are we supposed to understand from this? What are we supposed to get out of this? Because it, it seems so, um, it seems so strange how many parallels there are to a hundred years ago. So anyway, that's kind of what's been on my mind lately. And maybe I can add the big difference between now and 100 years ago is that um, there's a number of differences. One is that this wave of unrest and destruction was triggered by a man actually being murdered, whereas mm-hmm. the Tulsa race riot was triggered by nothing. And, yeah. and that was whites rioting for literally no reason except mm-hmm. hate. Um, and, and what's more is the ignorance of history. We need to really understand that this is one of the things when we wonder why people are angry at a time like this. Well, here's a fact. Um, that race riot in Tulsa was not taught in the Tulsa public schools until I think after the year 2000 as part of the Tulsa history. Um, an entire an entire you know suburb of Tulsa was burned to the ground. It was the wealthiest black suburb in the United States. It was known as Black Wall Street, um, and that district was completely destroyed. Uh, many people were killed. I forget who how many it was now, but I believe it was scores at least. Um, or between three and four hundred. Yeah, that that's what I thought. I didn't want to say the a number that high, but that's what was in my mind. So like we're talking a lot of deaths in one suburb, hundreds of deaths in one suburb with the aid of the authorities, the authorities aiding the rioters um, in one suburb in over a couple of days time, entirely burned to the ground. Um, This was doctors and lawyers. These were black people that were living the American dream. The black people are still being told they'll be fine if they live this way. and that wasn't good enough in 1920. Things have gotten a lot better since 1920, thank God. Um, But this is the, but imagine if you knew that history about your people and it was being blacked out from what was being taught to all of your city's children. This had happened to your grandparents and you knew that the city's children were not even being told. Um, Your grandparents' memory had been erased. And, um, And so, so th- this is the kind. Of, th- th- this is the backdrop. There's so much um, that that white people are not even aware of that has happened. That that all goes into this. And and as Anabaptists, mm-hmm. I think there's another pa- there parallel to be made is that 
we have this trauma in our own history as Anabaptists. We have been hunted down and discriminated against and, and outlawed and, and <clears throat> murdered by the state for, in our case, not, you know, not ethnic hatreds most of the time, um, but, but over religious issues. And, and that is still something that's very, very real in our background. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and not, and, and it, it took time for Anabaptists to understand, to, to universally become known for peace. Um, some of us, some of us really did respond violently in the early days. We, there were violent revolutionaries among what was, you know, in the, in the general camp known as Anabaptists. And as Rebecca um, likes to remind us, Munster. <laughs> yes, yes, every six hours or so. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. Um, so these these people these people when people, you know, have a longing for justice and they see it not being done, um, we should be able to identify with mm -hmm. the difficulty. Number one, the struggle to understand how to react in a redemptive way. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's pretty normal for a minority of people to, to go nuts and say, you know what, I'm just going to tear this whole machine down. Mm -hmm. um, that's, what's, that's what a minority of Anabaptists did. That's what a minority of, of activists are doing right now. It doesn't take very many fire, firebomb throwers to create a whole mm -hmm. lot of destruction. It's much easier to destroy things than to build them. Um, and so when we see large amounts of destruction, we need to be aware that there's a lot of people building all the time in these communities. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And they're just as distressed as we are about the, uh, about the destruction that's happening right now. And we should be, I think a question that I have for us just to think about, I don't know if I'm going to you know, try to answer it at the moment, but how do we be the kind of people who are recognizable as allies of those who are working for peace. Um, how do we build bridges to people who, <clears throat> to people in, in, in any angry or underprivileged community, um, with oppressed people who are working constructively? Um, and how do we how do we engage with them in a way that spreads that kind of um, that approach to? unrest and and injustice rather than the other approach and how do I we think do that that instead of instead of pouring fuel on the fire mm -hmm. i think it's interesting you brought up the anabaptist connection because um that was that was actually and i don't know if she's watching or not but um something uh, there's there's two people who have been really influential in helping raise awareness for me of the uh, the actual the actual legitimacy of the of the racial tensions that are in the U.S. and so on. One is Dorcas Mucker, and the other is Dwight Gingrich. And um, mm -hmm. Dorcas, a number of years ago, posted an article or posted a um, it's kind of an article she wrote, I think, or maybe it might have just been a lengthy post about one of her daughter's experiences at um, college, where she had a there was a Catholic priest that um, was just given some type of lecture. And as part of the lecture, he mentioned that he had a barbecue apron um, that read, I'd rather be roasting heretics. 
Mm-hmm. And so Dorcas's daughter's sitting there in the audience, you know, and the audience kind of laughs because that's 500 years ago. That's far removed from them. Right. And she said, you know, my daughter felt like she'd been punched in the gut. Mm-hmm. And, and I had the same reaction as I read that. Because those heretics have names to us. Yes. Like they're household names. We know these people. This is part of this. And all of a sudden it hit me and I was just cut to the heart. This is how the black community feels when somebody makes a racist joke. It's the exact same visceral response Mm -hmm. that I have. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, so you'd like to do that again? Like if you were given the power and the reins again, would you take us Anabaptists again and redo what you did to us? Because if you're telling jokes like that, it makes me wonder. You can say, no, this is a joke. It's 500 years ago. But that was that was kind of the the scales falling from my eyes and realizing there's just it's just it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then um, Dwight has posted consistently about racial issues. He lives in Atlanta, has has a lot of um, friends there um, in different, not just the black community, different ethnic, ethnic groups and so forth. And he he spent a lot of time listening and um and just sharing what he's learned and so he's he's been really instrumental but that um i think if we can connect those of us that are anabaptists i know not everybody in the dank uh group is but um those that are anabaptists if you can understand that connection because our 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 cultural trauma is uh centuries old the trauma that the black community is dealing with is fresh Mm-hmm. it's a living memory that mm-hmm. um like i was just talking yesterday uh, to my wife about ruby bridges you know she's six years old i got a six-year-old mm-hmm. and if uh he was getting ready to go to school because he's so excited about going to school this fall and if i had to th- if he had to walk a gauntlet of people screaming at him and cursing him and throwing things at him to go to school i'd be ready to burn some buildings down mm-hmm. um i i just it, when when you when you when you realize how fresh that is, um, you can say, well, it's still not okay to burn buildings down. Well, maybe not, but you can understand why somebody would do it. Right. So, And, and I think if we can understand, just understand, I think goes a long way. Right. Understand the feelings that are going on in someone's heart when they watch some, like for me, for me in a way, like this is part of someone else's legacy. And this is, it isn't. I mean, there were whites and blacks involved in the George Floyd um, murder. Um, but but so so it's part of my legacy as well. But it's been a long time, you know, since anybody, you know, in my family line, you know, held slaves. I don't know if, if that ever happened. Um, mm-hmm. But but for for people watching for 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 people of color watching something like that go down this is something that's never stopped happening. Like that's a lynching, essentially, it's, it's, it's equivalent. Um, and, and those are recent um, and they have not all even been acknowledged by the governments that you know, sanctioned them to this day. So anyway, we, I, but we do have a couple of questions. Um, yeah. I don't know if anybody's watching them, but the first one we had was, uh, uh, wait, on my, interface i think maybe they're going away louise um, and miller uh, the first one i saw uh discuss some ways to stand with oppressed people yes. in practical everyday ways 
without compromising Jesus' stance on violence, hurting people, and unhelpful political involvement. Correct. Yes, that's what I saw. I just um, I want to touch and um, I want to touch in the political involvement thing because um, this is a great question. I think it's good to talk about. Um, although this is one, a lot of these I'd love to to be able to come back to next week because. I think there'd be the ability to, to hear, uh, you know, firsthand, this is what would mean something to me rather than, uh, you know, speculating or whatever from, yeah. from Keyshawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this idea that, um, you know, we can't be politically involved, this, this fear of politicization. And it's frustrating to me because for the past four years, I have watched the politicization of Anabaptism in a way that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly when it's an issue that's not even a political issue because racism is not a political issue. Racism is a Jesus issue. Mm-hmm. And if we're trying to relegate that to the realm of politics, we've already missed the boat. And what really bothers me is there's people that are glad to say, well, you know, they're certainly glad the other guy didn't win and who we have in government now. Cause you know, if we actually said their names then that would be political. So we're just gonna, you know, make veiled references and somehow that's okay. But coming out with a clear message that racism is wrong. Racism is a real problem. Racism is happening all around us and we want to do what we can to stop it. Now, suddenly that's, that's politicism. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not taking, um, I hope, uh, uh, Louisa that asked the question, I hope you don't think I'm taking issue with you personally with the way you asked the question, because I don't, I'm, I'm more dealing with the overarching issue that, um, racism is not a political issue. It's something more than that. Um, unfortunately, some people think the only solution to it is political solutions. And that is unhelpful, as you mentioned. So mm-hmm. I just want to, um, I, I feel like there's been some hypocrisy with the um, willingness to be political until something like this, where um, where suddenly we we remember our Anabaptist roots and we 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 don't get politically involved, and it, that just really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Well, the so weird... go, go ahead, ahead, Titus. Okay, I'll, I was just weird, I, I want to keep. I do want us to answer this question though at some point. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. We, we we talked about this a lot on the Third Way podcast, but the, the the weird thing with the 21st century is that every issue is political. So if you're going to talk about anything societal or anything within our culture that our culture is interested in, it's just going to be political. So I think we need to define some terms like what what do we mean by don't get involved in politics? Well, obviously right. we don't think we should enforce our morality through the sword which is what government leaders do mm-hmm. um but but when it comes to speaking truth to power and having opinions on issues that that relate to the politics of our kingdom then yes we should be just as loud as anyone else i would say right right and and i'll add I, this is an issue that's very close to my heart as well because this gets brought up as a gotcha point with me on a regular basis and I just have to laugh every time um, someone just yes <laughs> someone just yesterday just yesterday told me wow you really inter- you really spend a lot of time on politics for someone who calls himself a kingdom Christian I was like 
that is like the king of non sequiturs. Um, because like, do you know what the word kingdom is? That's an inherently political <laughs> term. I, I, you know, I said a much better question would be, um, how can someone call themselves a kingdom Christian if they, if he, how can someone call himself a kingdom Christian if he doesn't have an interest in politics? Um, like if you call yourself kingdom Christian, that's a fundamentally, that is in itself a claim that Christianity is political. And we do need to define the word politics because when most people think about it, they think of, they think of, uh, you know, political operatives slithering around the halls of Washington, DC. Um, and, and that's not what the word politics inherently means. It means having to do with laws and, and governing essentially how, how laws are made and enforced, how governing is done and, and by extension, how power is exercised within a society. And so that's what, why we call ourselves kingdom Christians. We're making a claim about power which, and, and authority, which is that God is the king and he has a kingdom. Um, he has a realm where he rules and he has a rule. Those two things are a little bit separate, separate from each other. The, they're both embodied in the word kingdom. Um, and, and so when we say we are kingdom Christians, we are saying we live under God's rule. We believe that God, all power comes from God, all legitimate power comes from God and, and that his is the only ultimate authority we recognize. And that has lots of repercussions, but beyond that, um, the reason everything is political and seems like it's political to us is that everything is political. There, is very, there are very few things in life that are more central and fundamental to our existence and to our relationships with one another than issues of power. And when, and that, that involves everything from church leadership to family dynamics, to sexual abuse, to, to the riots that are unfolding probably as we speak in cities across the United States. Um, it's about people trying to understand or figure out or compete um, to de decide who, who wields power and how. And that is one of Jesus' core messages. So Jesus gives us a framework for understanding power and exercising it, for understanding what types of power are legitimate and what types of power are not. And one of our, I think one of our unbelievably destructive failings as Anabaptists, one of the things that has sucked us dry as a force in the world is that we have ignored the issue of power. We have thought that if we ignored power, then it wouldn't be a thing. Um, we were suspicious of power in our early days and we confronted it, but over time we just became silent about power. And as we found ourselves in situations where power generally benefited us, it was easy to be silent about power and, and the abuse of power when it was abused toward other people than us. And so I want to reclaim the word political. I, I enthusiastically embrace the accusation that I am politicizing Christianity because Christianity is political. When people say Jesus is Lord, they are ripping a phrase right out of the mouths of you know, Roman society. They were ripping the phrase out of the mouths of Roman society, which was Caesar is Lord. They were blaspheming Caesar when they said that. 
when they said repent and when Jesus said repent and believe the gospel, he was he was asking people, he was explicitly asking people to change their allegiance from Caesar to him. And and um, if Christianity is not making radical demands on people, if Christianity is not saying things that sound treasonous in in the world that we find ourselves in, then it then it's probably dead or dying. So that's that's my rant about power. <laughs> so you found Anthony up there. Yes. <laughs> so uh, to stand with oppressed people groups, I think that makes all of these conversations legitimate when we understand that Jesus was here about rearranging power structures and changing the way humans related to each other because of the way that he was teaching us to, to relate to power. Um, so when Louisa says unhelpful political involvement, I think she means what we probably all mean by that, which is, you know, not trying to use ungodly power from the top down mm-hmm. to, to uh, force change on people who don't want it. Yeah. Um, but, but so how, how does the, I think the question could be rephrased. How does Jesus want us to use our power in this situation? How can we gain more power to influence the situation for good? And, and then, and then, you know, what are our goals when we get involved? Um, I think, um, I I think the apostle Paul in, in the early church is a good, is a good picture of privilege. Um, and I know a lot of people um, maybe even get kind of offended at the concept of privilege because, well, I have to work for what I have. So I don't know why you say I'm privileged, which is a misunderstanding what the concept of privilege actually means. But um, the Apostle Paul was, was somebody who had incredible privilege. Um, besides the fact that he was born in a Jewish family that was able to get him some of the best education ever. Um, he was born a Roman citizen and the the centurion that arrests him says to him uh kind of all kind of wistfully you were born with it but i got my citizenship at great cost mm-hmm. now there were some things that paul could do and paul um that that paul could get away with there's some things you couldn't do to paul they're about to beat him um basically mm-hmm. torture him uh for a confession and he says um you guys, what are you doing? That's that's not lawful. I'm a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because Paul was afraid of suffering. I mean, look at Paul's life. Right. But um, I really believe, and I can't prove this 100%, but what, um, what I forget, I think it's Agrippa. It's either Agrippa or Felix says, he says, I think this man would have walked free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And I believe that the reason that Paul appealed to Caesar is because he knew there were lots of Christians out there that couldn't. And he thought if he could get to Rome and make a case in Rome about what this faith was, that he would be able to protect those who weren't able to make that case um, Mm -hmm. because persecution was a thing there. And um, so that's why I think he's so bullheaded. Even though Paul is warned again and again and again, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest you. Don't do this. You're going to get it. Paul is, you know, bullheadedly goes ahead because, and we could all argue whether that was actually God's plan or not. I've heard those arguments. But um, so I want to acknowledge him. But it seems that Paul was willing um, to take his privilege and use it in a way 
that helped those like Peter who didn't have it. Peter ends up being crucified mm -hmm. upside down. Um, mm -hmm. That was never going to happen to Paul. It would be illegal to crucify Paul. Paul knew no matter what he did, he wasn't going to get crucified. And mm -hmm. he was seems to be doing what he could to make sure that others weren't getting crucified either. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of a model for, for us to look at and say, you know, where we have privileges, there's things that you can get away with saying. There's things mm -hmm. you can get away with doing right. that maybe the person can't. Um, so do those things mm -hmm. to make it better for those who don't have those options because they're the oppressed ones. That includes both speaking up and even stepping in the way of violence. Sometimes like if, if you have privilege in a society, you have the opportunity to use that increased power to, to actually stop violence in, in a lot of different situations um, when it's going down. And of course, that's a whole other conversation, how to be in the places where the need for that exists. Um, but <clears throat> and I'm saying this from the middle of a wood, 100 acre woods. Yeah, I, um, I heard that there was a, a line of, of white women who were standing between police and black protesters. Yes. Like, so I, I think that'd be a, a really, that's a great example of that. I mean, they're much, they're probably, I mean, this is a controversial statement, but they're probably less likely to um, be harsh physically with, with white women than black protesters. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, and it's terrible, but it's just, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I think for one, and another thing that we can do actually to, to bridge the, uh, anything we can do we may not be able to have, have many ways of intervening in conflict directly in the middle of a crisis, but one thing we can do to make these crises happen less and to bend the arc of history toward, toward justice and peace is to actually just take conscious actions to bridge the divide between us and people who are not like us of all kinds, whether they have a different political persuasion than we do or whether, whether they have a different, um, you know, ethnicity than we do. Um, we need to be constantly pursuing reconciliation that involves re relationships ourselves with people who feel like they've been uh, misunderstood by people like us. Um, and, and when we, for every person that does that, the divide, you know, weakens, the, the wall comes down that much. And the chances that people feel unheard enough to have to resort to extreme measures become less i think what what you're seeing because I, I see a lot of people saying things like well why would you burn down your own community um you know that you're just hurting yourself and all these type of things but i i think and this is something that i've seen both on a international scale and you know more localized um in, in the, these type of riots and so on is when people feel like they've got nothing to lose they do things like that. Mm -hmm. When you create situations where people feel like they've got nothing to lose, and that's the big issue. Um, you were speak, speaking about the, the violence and use of violence in response to violence and so forth. That's the big issue with what's happening in the Middle East right now is the fact that when you go and say, okay, a few terrorists attacked us, so we're going to go attack that country. We're going to go blow things up. Well, there's people who had jobs, there's people that had houses, there's people that had all kinds of things. And what you just did was took away all the, the what those people had, their families, their lives, 
and you put them in a situation where now they too have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And the, and and that contributes to violence. Mm-hmm. Because as long as people we all want the same thing. We want people we want the people we want to care uh, we want to feel safe, we want the people around us um, you know have good relationships with people around us, we want to feel like what we're doing matters. Mm-hmm. And for the last 150 years or more um, there's been a large segment of the population that that just simply hasn't been the case for uh, the mm-hmm. the the black community there in Tulsa um, they did it all right they had everything right they were doing them um, they, they were the last people who would have rioted and in a co- in two days that's all ripped away from them mm-hmm. and, and that message it, goes out to the entire nation yeah um, that if we do what people are telling us and you know work really hard and follow the rules and act like white people and build houses like white people and try to integrate as much as possible they're going to be angry about that and destroy destroy us there's no point in the end it doesn't matter anyway it won't make any difference which Mm -hmm. which is which is a a self-defeating way to think but it's very very hard to work against if, Mm if you're swimming upstream to that degree and there needs to be a degree of empathy for that. Another thing that I think um, this might be straying into risky territory, but I believe we do have, when we believe the gospel, we do have access to um, peacemaking approaches that are usable by by oppressed people. Um, And we are not in a position to offer those um approaches if we haven't listened like if we don't even get what their problem is um so and that's another thing that where often i think um anabaptists with our history of forgiveness and uh, you know t- being very strong on forgiveness and 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 you know self-sacrificing love we end up um prescribing these things to people when we have not even recognized their pain and the wrong of what was done to them yet. Mm-hmm. The things need to come in their proper order. And, and um, you know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. And, and many other leaders have used peaceful measures successfully, um, mostly not, you know, in, in the ways that I as a kingdom purist would, would approve of totally but but those measures work but they can't be prescribed by someone who is denying your lived reality as they do it um mm-hmm. so so listening listening first i think for many people i know and even for myself i don't think i'm done listening i've got a lot I, a lot you know i was not raised with a connection to what it was like for other people than my ethnicity to live in this country and, and that's something I'm still working on. And I think for, for, for us who are white in a, in a racially charged situation like that, um, we, need to, we need to do that. And that will also, I think, prepare us to have the right mindset. If the tables are ever turned, we don't have any guarantee that we'll always be, um, you know, the, that we'll always be on the top of the social hierarchy in this country or any other place where we are. Um, Mm -hmm. and if we have settled in and if we have made an effort to empathize and weep along with people and walk alongside them and 
understand understand what it is to experience Christ under those oppressive circumstances, will be prepared to respond correctly if it ever happens to us. It's mm-hmm. good. A little bit like the unjust steward. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I guess <laughs> you could say so. Uh, so, Make yeah, do we do we want to move on to? Um, let's see. There was a very good question here from. There's there's lots of good questions here. Um, Someone mentioned voting, which is a, a much bigger topic than we can probably get into. Yeah, tonight. not going to go into that. <laughs> I don't vote, um, so there's. I do that not much vote either. Answer. Um, no, I don't, I don't either. Part- that'd that'd be a fun one to go down. I'd love to kick that. I'd love to kick that can, but uh, that, nope. or kick that I'm trying to whatever, convert. But- I'm, I'm trying to convert nuance Drew on that one. But what what I say is I don't participate in choosing the commander in chief of the largest organization in the history of mankind, dedicated solely not to loving their enemies. Yeah, he's got a good point there. My my my, I have I have a little thought experiment that I do, but it basically comes down to. Um, the only, you know, you're going to vote, you're going to vote for the lesser of two evils. If you vote for the two parties as a vote for the lesser of two evils, and that's a vote for, uh, you know, at some point you got to vote between Hitler and Stalin. How can you give your voice to that? Um, if Jesus ran third party, he, he would only get two or 3% of the votes. So that's throwing your vote away. Um, that tends to be the, that's the line of argument that I use. But um, anyway, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun we could have there, but did you pick one, Anthony? Um, well, uh, Travis Burkholder asked, why is the white community so quick to take credit for the Civil War but deny their involvement in slavery? Oh, um, I saw a comment that was exactly that on a, on one of the most disturbing threads uh, on, on uh, someone yeah, I read that thread today. Well, you yeah. name any names, but if we Someone didn't... who will, be not, will not be named uh, has one of the most disturbing threads you will ever read on Facebook right now. It's quite prominent and he's fairly prominent. So if you snoop around, you'll probably be able to find it. And there was that exact quote. So, like someone said that, you know, my granddaddy didn't enslave your granddaddy, blah, blah, blah. And then in the same comment it was like, we literally fought a war to, to free you guys. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> yes. Travis was involved in that. Travis was involved when he asked that question. I knew what conversation he was referring okay. to. Because- yeah, I missed, I missed out on that fun. I'll just I'll shoot you the link afterward. I'm, my so inbox is, this, is gonna be full of people wanting the <laughs> wanting the link now. Is, is this a question we need we need to answer? I mean, I don't know, but I, I think we like to take credit for uh, things we feel good about. I think that's the short answer. Another weird another weird thing is how we say never forget about 9-11, but get over slavery. Yeah, you know exactly. Well, that was a good one. I thought it was interesting. I posted some statistics, and you can argue with statistics because you always make statistics say what they are. But it had the number of black people that were being killed by police in a certain amount of time, the amount of, of Americans are killed by terrorists, and then the amount of money that the U.S. has spent fighting terrorists. And um, there was a, a, a large number of comments, and nobody mentioned anything about the fact that we're basically, that we as a nation, and I hate saying we because I'm part of another kingdom, but you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. have spent, um, I think it's a bill, over a billion dollars per person killed by terrorists in the last 20 years, allegedly fighting terrorists. A billion dollars a person. Nobody took issue with that. It's all like, well, I'm sure some of those black people that got shot probably deserved it because they were attacking the cops. That was like all the comments. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're about that. And it's like, it doesn't even bother people. The fact that we're spending obscene amounts of money. We once again, not the, the, the kingdom that we're part of is spending obscene amounts of money and Christian people supporting this going and blowing people up and yet taking issue with the fact that um, the black people are kind of peeved about some of the stuff they've experienced. And it's, it's, it's hypocritical and intellectually dishonest, and it just drives me around a bit. So, so um, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I didn't want mean to cut you off. Uh, I no, just you're fine. Rosanna, I, just gonna I, I want to keep moving through the questions here. Uh, Rosanna said, uh, I feel so helpless about what to say or think and do to help, and it feels so distant for me. This is, that is part of my white privilege. Shame isn't useful. Though I feel sorry about my lack of ability to identify, but what actually is useful. So I, I hope we talked about, I wanted to acknowledge the question and I think maybe mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get some more enlightenment on that question. What is useful um, next week with Keyshawn. But um, I just wanted to, I wanted to mention that, that issue of shame and see if anybody had any input on that. I, I know that this is something that is, that is um, that I've heard a lot when someone acknowledges that they feel any sort of responsibility, um, when I, as a white, white man, um, you know, acknowledge my responsibility for being complicit in any way, or, or for the fact that I'm part of a culture that was complicit in, in a, and still is in some ways in a lot of damage and destruction and oppression. Um, people will say, well, you're just, you, you know, you're just, you just have white guilt. Like this is a, this is a liberal thing that, that is uh, about making all white people feel guilty who haven't even done anything. And, and I think shame is another word or for the fact that I'm part of a culture oh. that was complicit. Oh, I'm suddenly getting uh hold on. I'm getting feedback here. Yeah, that was me. Sorry. Okay. I'm trying to... Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Um, the, so I think it's good to talk about shame. Like if, if I feel ashamed, shame is either like, is a, is helpful. If you really, if you've done something wrong, people can try to put shame on you when you don't deserve it. Um, but a sense of responsibility to act redemptively in something that your ancestors might've done wrong to make, even make restitution. If my grandpa stole someone's farm and I found out I was living on a stolen farm, um, you know, and that person's grandchildren were living next to me, you know, in a shack, I would feel like I had some responsibility to do what I could for them, um, to, to return the farm if I could. Um, if, if, if I wasn't, if I didn't have the power anymore to do that, you know, I, I would still, I would still feel some responsibility. It doesn't mean that I would have done that if I was in my grandpa's place. It doesn't mean that I'm taking responsibility for you know, the action, but I'm saying here is something that was left on, there was no restitution made and I'm going to do what I can to set it right. This is what justice is about, is putting things right. It's not about figuring out who should feel miserable because they're to blame. It's about finding out no matter who we are, no matter how 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 detached we feel from the situation to say, I have... Like, like we said before, I have power in this situation that gives me responsibility 
to um, to take action where I can. Um, so I, I think we should not feel, you know, we shouldn't feel a sense of crippling shame that like paralyzes us or makes us feel like we're in the wrong somehow. Um, but we should feel a sense of humility that says something went badly wrong here. I might be contributing to it. Um, let me see if I can find out if I'm still contributing to it and set that right um, in any way that I can. Joseph Shank posted yes. a poll on Instagram. Menu polls, which is going to be my new thing now. Thank you for, for turning me on to <laughs> oh, that. Boy. I had no idea that existed. So I'll be <laughs> popping some popcorn later on and going through that. So the, the question is, is there a systemic racism problem, which I'd like to define that term. Is there a systemic racism problem in America or are there just a few racist people and the media blows up any story as much as possible? Yes, 42%, a few racist people, 58%. Okay. So what was the first question again? It, is there a systemic racism problem okay, in America sure. or are there just a few racist people and the media blows it up? Uh -huh. So can we define what, what they probably mean by a systemic racism problem? Because I hear that thrown around a lot, but it's, it, I don't know if I've ever got a really good definition of that. Well, we, we would need the Go ahead. My understanding, um, this was actually something that was out of the things that I got out of the um, year and a half that I did in my grad grad uh, in the grad program, um, one of them was cultural diversity and that uh, a class on cultural diversity because that they want public school teachers to be aware of that. Um, and anyway, that's a whole long story of my uh, my stint into the public education world. But um, I wasn't sure what I thought about that class because you know. Um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't as, as kingdom Christian as I am now. And I was like, well, I'm probably going to get some, some type of liberal propaganda and I didn't know and all this. But as I spent time in that class and talking and listening and um, these conversations, um, I started understanding what's meant by, uh, the, by, by the concept of um, the systemic racism. And basically, it's the idea that the, our world was, the rules were written by people. And this is just a fact. The people that write the rules always write the rules to benefit themselves. Well, the people that were making the rules and that developed the system that we live in were predominantly white men. And so white men wrote the rules in such a way as to benefit themselves so that they get the benefit of the doubt. So they, all these type of things. Add to that um, policies, for instance, the, the idea of redlining, which I didn't even know what that was until today. I've heard mm. the term, but I actually spent some time reading about it. And it basically was that there were certain cities where no matter how much you made, if you were the wrong race, the bank wouldn't loan you money to buy property in a certain section of town. You couldn't get a loan to buy, to buy land there. You just simply couldn't. And there were all these all these rules and policies. So on the law might say on the surface, well, everybody is equal. But the problem is the system's made in such a way that the racist people can subvert that. That's why you have in the South, um, white men blatantly murdering black people and a white jury refuses to convict them. 
Yeah. And Which all of these kinds of things. Time. Pardon me. Um, yeah, you're you're not distinguishing clearly here. Oh, I'm sorry. Is... Yeah, in the past. Uh, yeah. In the um, oh, and it's it's even been um, it's even been more recent than we'd like to admit. Yeah. But that's why you had all of those type of things going on was because you had systems that were created in such a way where even if the rules as written were supposed to give everybody certain rights, it was really easy for a few influential people to subvert that. Mm -hmm. And then you have things like in Boston, um, which this story about made me spit out my chewing gum. Uh, the, in Boston, I was reading the, the, the cultural racism in the, in the Boston Police Department that certain rules were passed that specifically targeted, like there were certain type of dice games that were really common in the black section of, of, the, of town. And so they illegalized that. And the police department was using their resources to fly drones over the black sections of town looking for people gathered around in a street corner so they could go bust up the dice games. And all of those are, are examples of what we're talking about when we say the systemic racism problem. It's like the whole, just like we say abuse in the Anabaptist community is systemic. It's not just a few bad people doing it. It's the fact that the whole structure is built to protect the people who are doing it. And so it's really hard to root out because it's, it's self-reinforcing. And everybody's covering for each other. And then everybody's collectively saying every time it happens, which is like every two weeks, that this is an isolated incident. And it's totally not going to happen again, except that it does again and again and again. Uh, yeah, that's that, 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 uh you could have steered the train off a very long rabbit trail there, David, but, but your point is taken. Um, which, the, which part? I'm sorry. I, I think we would probably get a lot of pushback on whether, for instance, with abuse in the Anabaptist circles, whether the system is built to protect, to enable that or whether- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't intend to imply that the Anabaptist system was created for the purpose Okay. of protecting it um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because i definitely want to clarify that no i don't believe that but the system is built in such a way that it does that's what i meant right right and and that's that's one of the things i think that has happened because we have we have kind of we have not tended the garden of power um in a way that acknowledges that this is something that requires us to engage with it um wicked people will abuse power within a society if the society does not manage power correctly. Um, and we have not done well at that as Anabaptists. Um, Andrew has a question. Um, did Anthony listen to the rad anti-establishment album I lent him? Um, the answer is uh, not yet. I was playing it in the van on the way home um, last evening after you gave it to me and my children did not like it. Um, too much so screamo? I, no, it wasn't screamo. It was, uh, I won't say who it was, but, but it, <laughs> it was, it was fairly gentle. My children have decided opinions and they really, they're very, they're conservatives. They like what's familiar. And so, um, and there was something else they wanted to listen to as well, which I also won't say what it was, but, uh, <laughs> but so we listened to that instead. There were a couple of things going on, but I will, Andrew. Um, and, and I, 
definitely appreciate the gift. Um, what's our next question? Um, ambassadorship from Rosanna. Rupert. I hope I'm getting these in the order they were asked. Which is, ambassadorship, which is a political position, is also a biblical one. So how to represent the king in a foreign country without being involved in the political party of the foreign country? Um, you, one of you guys want to take a shot at that? I think Titus, you're you're pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you're a pretty good guy for the political questions. <laughs> well, if if you think about our kingdom and its ethic, one of the most revolutionary things about the the first church, even in the Book of Acts, was the blurring of well, I shouldn't say blurring of ethnic lines, but like Jew and Gentile being able to sit at the table together and, and that sort of mm -hmm. reconciliation. So that is fundamental to the DNA of our kingdom. And in fact, people like N.T. Wright have been showing that a lot of what Paul was writing about actually was related more to that problem than to mm -hmm. 16th century problems, even though we read it through the lens of, you know, Martin Luther's guilt complex that wasn't really what paul was getting at as much um and so i would say you know reconciliation ethnic reconciliation racial reconciliation is fundamental to the dna of our kingdom so that doesn't necessarily mean that we use the babylon's means to accomplish that right um but it does mean we speak out so like there's this, oh. this kind of viral picture of of what people thought were Amish, but apparently were Church of God, people yeah. out out protesting and, and singing on the streets. I think things like that are great. And I know there's a lot of people who take issue with protesting and it's not actually something I've ever done. So here I am advocating it. But I really do think there is a place for us to be on the streets advocating the ethics of our nation and our kingdom and not just protesting, but um, if there's any practical ways that we can advocate for those, those ethics as well, I, I'd be interested in hearing if you guys have any like other practical ideas. I know someone commented, Carrie commented something that I'm doing to support right now that isn't necessarily going out protesting is I'm intentionally purchasing from businesses that are minority owned. That's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's something I think about a lot. So I, I started a lawn care company a few years ago. And it, it's, it's grown really quickly. And I, I think about it, like if I was an African-American young man and going to these elderly, like these homes of these elderly people and an elderly white woman comes out and, and goes over the lawn with me, I guarantee I would have not nearly as many customers as I have now. And, that, and, and so that's an example of, white privilege that I have that I'm benefiting from. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure my business would not have grown as fast and it's sad and it's terrible and it should not be the case. Um, but I don't have to work as hard for, for what I get than, you know, someone who doesn't look like me. And so that example of like supporting businesses that are owned by minorities, I, I think is a really great example um of, of something we can do but maybe that's kind of getting off the initial question a little bit too you had me a little confused there because i thought you said when you said about uh we don't use babylon's means to do it i thought you said babylon's memes to do it and i thought you were coming out again <laughs> we definitely we have you confused for a minute there <laughs> we usurp babylon's memes 
we subvert them. There you and go. Use them oh. against Babylon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, pardon us if we miss something here, because this is a long thread, and my mouse is really annoying me. Um, Someone wanted us to share our musical tastes, and then David said we're not having a Tiger King repeat. Yeah, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> my music tastes are, are very singers. Oasis Corral. Oasis there you go. Corral. There you go. Yeah, we can all get together on Oasis Corral, I think. Mm. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, here we are. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're like, uh, only answer. Are we only answering the soft? No, I don't think we're only answering the softball questions. We're answering the questions that are to the point, I think. Uh, but, um, We have a question here. Anger is an insufficient response to violence because it's a secondary emotion. Grief and action are appropriate, but what avenues are appropriate for us to act? I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. I've not been saying much, but what can I possibly do or say? I stand in the same welfare lines and I'm embarrassed because I'm a Mennonite woman who should be helping to eliminate poverty and unfair advantage. Um, I'll take a stab at that. Um, one, I... I hear you, and I've been in a similar situation um, uh, through some of my own bad decisions in the past, unfortunately, and and I know that that feeling of shame. Um, I think this is something Gary Miller actually talks a lot about in in his books that I really appreciate is that. Is, is building dreams, like using your efforts in every way you can. There's, there's many people that just need a listening ear. It doesn't cost much. If you have a little bit of time that you can devote to listen to somebody, to just communicate with them one-on-one -on -one online or something. Um, there are things available to us that take very few resources. Um, and if we don't have resources, if we're working long hours just to survive, um, and some of us are, and, and we don't have spare money or anything like that. Um, if God knows our dreams and if we are, if we are putting all the resources we have, if we're even if we're putting our dreams toward genuinely toward his work and his kingdom and, and our goals are unselfish, um, he recognizes and honors that. And that's what we will do with our resources when we, when we gain the resources to do it. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in being in a situation where we don't simply don't have the resources to reach out much. Um, and Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And he meant that because there's something about that vulnerable situation that puts us very, gives us a, a way of access to his heart. That is, that is, uh, um, allows us to empathize with the people that he cares about most. Um, that's what I would say to that. Any, either of you have something to add? Don't think so. Um, we've got a decent amount of comments, and I don't know how we do. long we're not going to make it through all of them, probably. Yeah. Uh, but let's see. Hmm. Tell us, oh yeah, that was a musical taste one. <laughs> we don't have too many more questions. Yeah. 
there's some great book recommendations um go check those out in the comment section everybody i know my brother tim just finished um what is the book rebecca mentioned it when i interviewed her um here it is jesus and the disinherited he really liked that so i haven't read it but i recommend it <laughs> okay yeah uh jesus and the disinherited yes i heard that recommended recently it was probably on was it on your podcast where was it Not anyway sure. looking looking to read it when i get through my big stack but uh andrew andrew asked this i think there probably are some people interested in this um we'll, we'll go through maybe a few more very quickly i'm a tad behind on this part of the stream but for lack of better words or classification, does hardline complementarianism lend itself to be easily abused by twisted men who are domestic abusers? I think that's connected back to the power conversation in the same way that the Quran might easily lend itself to violence for those who want to take it that direction. Would a more egalitarian approach with a pinch of complementarianism work better than a complementarian approach with a pinch of egalitarianism? Which is what you are. <laughs> uh, that's what I profess to be. But yeah, I don't think we all mean the same things by those words. You know, mm -hmm. people are shocked at that sometimes. And someone asked me recently, um, uh, how can you be a complementarian and not believe in the subjugation of women, which was the position that I said I had. Um, and I will just, I'll just quickly define, um, since I, I don't know what, if, if Andrew means this, especially for me or not, but I think he does have this question about me. Um, is Andrew egalitarian? He's, he's closer than I am, but he'll have to speak for himself. But um, I think we're in pretty sweet accord on a lot of things, but he's a nice guy and I'm a nice guy. You know, we, we aren't controversial people. So yeah, um, we could have glossed over a lot of things. But anyway, I think... I think uh, complementarianism is. Hi, Justice. Hi. Hey, you want to you want to come on the camera? Yeah. There's my boy. Hey. There's my boy, Justice. Nice. It's a great Can name. Say hi. Hi. Very hi. fitting name in these times. Oh yes. Yes. I C E or U S. I C E. Uh, yes. Okay. That was his mom's choice. It's a good one. We did. Um, and his big brother is named uh, Clement for mercy, so they they, they go to, they they get along well some of the time. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, did you want something? I just thought you would be the hi. Okay. Um, the yeah, my wife just strolled in the door with with justice, but she doesn't. I don't think she wants to come on camera. She strolled in with justice, like yes, as, like yes, kind of yes. She, she's she brought the justice, <laughs> as she often does. Um, so speaking of, speaking of egalitarianism, <laughs> yes, um, uh, yeah. So for me, just just for myself, um, you guys can answer the question, and in, in you know, if you want to say something to it. But for myself, when I well, Essentially, all that I mean by complementarianism is that I believe that men and women are not only biologically, but like emotionally and, and even spiritually made up in, in significantly different ways. And I think we live in a culture that 
for some of the reasons that we're seeing played out in front of us right now in cities around the world is afraid of difference. And we imagine that if we're different, then that means we have to demean people that are different from us. I think that God created men and women different with, and, and that those differences lend themselves to different general spheres of operation and roles in, you know, in the family and in society. Um, I don't believe that there's a hard and fast rule that tells you here's what men should be doing in, in most areas. Here's what men should be doing all the time. Here's what women should be doing all the time. They must not stray outside those spheres, but we are different. And in very egalitarian societies where, where they have done everything they can to remove any kind of programming that pushes boys toward certain types of behavior and girls toward certain types of behavior, boys and girls behave at least as differently as they do. Uh, um, like they're different from each other from, from little up. So I believe complementarianism in my mind, the way I use it does not mean God gives one gender the right to lord it over another gender um, or that God gives one gender the power and the other gender is just supposed to, is supposed to be subjugated. Um, I believe that God simply makes us different and there are different roles and I, and it's too long, you know, it would take too long to go into the details of that. But I do believe that before God, we are equal men and women. Um, no one has the right to use another person for their own ends against that person's interests. Um, no one has a right to override the will, the, the freedom of conscience of another person. No one has a right to force other people's choices um, into the way that I wish they would go or to punish someone when they don't make the choices that, that I would make. Um, be, between men and women, there is, there is no place for that. And, and so the way that works out, so you might call that egalitarianism with a pinch of complementarianism. I don't know, call it what you want. But I do believe that my wife and I are equals and I do not make her do things. Um, and she does not make me do things. Um, we do prevail on each other sometimes um, pretty strongly, <laughs> but, but uh, I, we, we do our best to create an environment where we are both submitting freely to one another because we love one another, where neither of us is forcing the other to, their, to bend to their will. That's yeah, that's good. I, this is a, uh, an issue that I, I struggle with because every bone in my body um, is, is uh, opposed to the complementarian view. Like it, it, to me, it just, it doesn't make sense that men should be the only pastors and teachers. Um, like how, how are the women's voices going to be represented in that case? Um, but but at the same time, uh, it's it's a prediction of my worldview that that I will have views as a 21st century Westerner that conflict with God's views at times. And so I, I just kind of throw up my hands and say, hey, this is this is one of them. And, and one thing that helps me with my cognitive dissonance in this area is Jesus's definition of leadership. So the way I, I would see it, if, if men are supposed to be you know, like the example I gave teachers and leaders in church, um, then it, it, it needs to be the idea of a woman being on the throne and the man serving her and dusting her head. And 
So that kind of servant leadership that Jesus demonstrated by washing his disciples' feet should should elevate women above men in a sense because we're we if if we're supposed to lead then that's that's getting down on our knees and washing uh-huh. their feet that helps me um it's still something i struggle with um but i i, I can't make scripture go any other ways mostly because it's it's grounded in creation rather than grounded in culture at the time where even the specific churches problems um but if if shay am i getting it right this yeah, time you are if shay is watching <laughs> we'll send you a zoom link and come on and debate us we're just getting started <laughs> no <laughs> my my oh. thought if you're done titus um yeah. uh my thought on on andrew's question is i i don't really think you can create any type of structure that's going to safeguard you from bad actors Mm-hmm. the kind of men um and the same thing as he said about the quran of violence and stuff um and we actually saw that in the dank meme group the kind of people who want to read the bible to say hey let's set people on fire that disagree with us there's plenty of biblical evidence to do that the kind of men who want to subjugate their wives there's there, there's verses you can use um now you have to ignore parts of scripture where it says husbands love your wives as, as christ loved the church um, in order to treat your wife that way. But um, ignoring the Bible has never been a problem for most people. Um, and so, you know, somebody that has their own agenda in play is not about to start suddenly caring about what they're ignoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really think it's it's essential to say, well, let's take this position because it's a safer position, um, at least not as such, just because even within really corrupt systems, people that have good hearts um, live according to the um, live according to you know what's right. You see that uh, I think uh, um, I have somebody that I follow uh, infrequently follow that that calls this Huck Finning it because uh, Huckleberry Finn and when he's uh, considering whether or not he ought to turn Jim the slave boy in um finally gets to the point because he's been told all his life it's wrong to help a slave escape slaves Mm -hmm. are supposed to be slaves and so forth and he's going to go to hell for it and he finally gets to the point where he says this is so immoral Mm -hmm. that if i have to go to hell for not turning him in i guess that's what i have to do because i'm not going to do that because it's wrong let me wax old charity and say glory (laughs) <laughs> well we know your views on hell anthony so yeah well it's not as it's not as but but the the point being that even that even him in that corrupt system of owning people mm-hmm. had a heart that was turned toward doing the right thing and he's able to to um to stand against that so sometimes i think we play mind games with ourselves that we don't need to when the real thing we need to do is do what you know is the right thing to do as best you understand it and act in a way that, that loves other people. And even if the, the structure you put the world together with has a few bolts missing, you're going to come out the right place. Carrie in the live stream asked me a follow-up question. She said, is the Bible as we have it as quote male washed as our history is quote whitewashed because I feel like in some ways it is. (laughs) 
So th this gets into questions of inerrancy, which is a whole nother topic. But I, I would say that in many ways, it for its time, the Bible is revolutionary in the way it elevates women. I mean, just, just the fact that women discovered the empty tomb is an argument that apologists for the resurrection use as one of the criterion by which we judge historic documents, the criterion of embarrassment, that if, if this didn't actually happen, they wouldn't include that detail because it was embarrassing to them because the testimony of women was mm -hmm. not considered reliable. So mm -hmm. it seems like the women, the, the, the scriptures do go out of their way to elevate women in countercultural ways. Um, now, it, it does it still have a, a male, you know, dominated theme or motif that runs through it um probably and and how do I we under, so. how do we understand that uh, like how do we deal with that with, with with questions of inerrancy and inspiration of scripture i mean that that gets into a really really complicated topic that we'll have to tackle at another time i'd love to hear you guys view of, of inspiration at some mm -hmm. point <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 um, I would say one very quick thing on that is when you look at, yeah, I look at the scriptures kind of like a signpost, like they, they came from God. They're pointing us from where people were at the time they were written to where we need to be going. If you have taken, you know, directions from a signpost and you, it says, you know, LA 1500 miles that way. And I am halfway to LA. I'm not back where the signpost is anymore. Um, I, I, I am, I'm on my way to where it's pointing to. And so the world that the scripture is, is built in has to, in order for people to hear the message, it has to leave unconfronted some of their biases. Um, and, and, and that's, that's how the scripture came together it did not confront all of the biases of the people of its time, at least not head on in the way we would like to see it. But one of the reasons it looks regressive to us today is because we have been following the signposts we found there for 2000 years now. Um, and we're far along that road that it pointed us down. So you're sounding uh, like a, a good progressive Christian right now. <laughs> Uh, Michael Gunder, Michael Gunger, Rob Bell, liturgists, they'd be very pleased with where you're going with this. Well, no, they, I don't think I'm going where they're going, but, but, uh, because, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say they're going to hell, but I, I, <laughs> that's not appropriate. But, but, uh, the, no, the, and, and, and I think, I feel like I didn't answer the power question very well. So I'm going to go, I, I, I mean, the question about power, not the question from power. Um, but because I did just kind of talk about me, I do think complementarianism, like, like a couple of you guys said, probably both of you, um, it, it acknowledges that the, it, by acknowledging differences, we do open ourselves to misuse those differences in certain ways that maybe they wouldn't be misused if we didn't acknowledge the differences, other bad things would happen then, um, and do so. So men are made bigger, faster, and stronger than women. Again, Carrie Sutton uh, <laughs> commented, I, Carrie said, I don't, uh, then I must have been born a boy or something like that. Um, women have differences among them. 
men have differences among them. Those differences are good and okay as well. Um, these statements can that I, men are. Can I just interrupt to point out that we, we've been doing this for about an hour, three white men talking about race and complementarian versus egalitarian. Yeah. Hey, yeah, well, well, we haven't we got broken all the every rule. We, we haven't got all the women's clothes yet. Hey, we answered the questions we were asked. And and we have That's the platform. Right. I mean, right. here we are with our privilege, you know. Let me let me plug the the Kingdom Women podcast. The, the, yes, the, that's a great show where you can go and hear very intelligent, passionate women discuss these things from their experience. And so that's that's going to be more valuable than than our perspective on, on women's issues. Yes, definitely. Yes, will because be. we haven't experienced it. And 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 like we've been mentioning this whole show, we are having Keyshawn on next week to talk about race. Um so we we I under I, I understand the the kind of messed upness of, of this <laughs> situation and acknowledge it. But like you said, we are just answering questions. That's what we plan to do tonight because we didn't have a topic. And these are the questions that are coming. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I, I would just say, we we do need we acknowledge that that there are certain inherent power differences in society that can't be erased, and and you know if if things are set up that way, um, that's not. Somebody's asking about tattoos, Titus. <laughs> All right. Well, I gotta go, guys. It's been. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have gone. We've actually gone almost an hour. About almost an hour and a half um so so yeah um thank you everyone for your questions i see there are a bunch more yeah. here but we're gonna have to drop you drop you guys um come back next week um for uh for a discussion from a little broader uh, cross-section of society than you saw here tonight um I got a good, I got a good meme uh, already so as soon as we're <laughs> off here i'm gonna post that meme um so you should like all right all right uh yeah good night i guess you're hosting all right uh, titus so i, I <laughs> no promise when you want to but uh, sure yep stay safe right. bless you all and, see you next oh, week i wanted to i wanted to read one thing before we sign off it's a since matthew isn't here it's it's a post he put out there that i really appreciated called a prayer for america um it's good let me, let's just sign off with that if Mm -hmm. I can pull it up here. A prayer to God for America. And I should take my hat off, right? We're in prayer. <laughs> I, I wasn't prophesying earlier, don't worry. Holy God, things are not well. The more years I live, the more things seem broken. And I wonder what your perspective of, all, of it all is. I read the news and scroll and stuff and cram, hate and violence, death and disease, until from time to time it crushes me and I can't not cry. Another man killed, the outrage swells, cities burn, the horrible polarization. My windows to the world want me to believe everyone is either an Antifa member, lighting a match, or a callous clansman. But that can't be true. I know people that have lots of different perspectives, and I don't know any clansmen or match lighting Antifa members, at least not many of it of either. I don't know what to do. I want it fixed. I want, to I want to defer my desire to fix it, defer it to a politician or a protest organization or this Facebook post. I just want it to stop. And the one thing I'm most afraid of is that it never will. 
that the rocks are crying out and the ground is sick of blood and the land is defiled with hate and we will all be barren from here on. My second biggest fear is that there isn't a big and easy answer. That all of this, whether it's COVID or the economy or police violence or race relations, is going to require a million small steps of faith and goodwill for everyone. I don't trust everyone. I barely trust me. And even though you've never done anything but love and care for me, sometimes I'm bent to not even trust you. I'm polarized in me. I want to dismiss, dismiss people as hateful or dumb or whatever. I sense that the world is gasping. It's like watching an old relative gasp for their last few breaths. And I wonder what the human family will be like when the last breath is taken. God, I want to see you at work in all these things. I'm looking and I see some things that look like you. I saw a picture of black protesters defending a lone cop. I saw a line of white women standing between the police and black protesters. I saw several policemen and police officials saying what we all know, that it's wrong. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. I even saw police asking for forgiveness on their knees and joining in protest for George. Things are a mess and it's our fault. Please show us the way out. Please show us Jesus working in and through your people to make things right. Show us how to absorb pain and suffering and turn it through the engine of grace and sacrifice into love and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Peace.